Justin Dunaway has an incredible experience um, in outpatient orthopedics, not only here in the States where he's been active in outpatient across multiple states for quite a few years now. Justin Dunaway and his wife Morgan Denny have founded and run the organization Stand Haiti. This is Pain Refrain. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Pain Reframe. A true pleasure today to have our friend Dr. Justin Dunaway. So Stan the Haiti Project, they go out to Haiti multiple times a year and see hundreds and hundreds of patients who have a very different relationship with healthcare and a very different level of resources and education than we do in the States. And it's neat to hear Justin talk about it because that access to, to resources obviously has downsides, but it's got a couple of surprising upsides as well. And you're going to hear us elaborate that on that here in this episode, that sometimes having the access to quote unquote education isn't the best thing in the world. And it's been amazing to hear what Justin and Morgan have been able to do when they have more of a blank slate. Even when sometimes the issues they're dealing with are more severe than you might see here in the States, they're able to spin some significant progress because they aren't dealing with so many maladaptive beliefs going into the encounter. So just amazing to hear Justin talk about his experience and thrilled to have him on the show. And without further ado, our good friend, Dr. Justin Dunaway. What an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thanks for joining Tim and I. I'm really excited to be here. I'm very excited about this podcast too, which you guys are doing is fantastic. Awesome, man. Yeah, we, we, we can't wait to bring in just a, just a whole layer of different speakers to give different perspectives on pain. We're already having a blast with it and we're barely in the kickoff season. So do you kind of mind giving the, the, the listeners just a few minutes on, on sort of your background in PT and, and kind of what you do day to day these days? And then if you wouldn't mind, um, we want to dig into a bit about, about your role in, in Haiti and what you guys do with the organization out there. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of getting the listeners up to speed on kind of who you are and, uh, and, and where you're at in the world, and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I'm a outpatient orthopedic physical therapist. Um, I work in Portland, Oregon, a couple days a week. I do some some teaching in the continuing education circuit for the Institute of Clinical Excellence. My main project and passion is um, Stand the Haiti Project. It's a nonprofit that uh, Morgan Denny, my wife, and I run, and we put together teams of physical therapists, prosthetists, orthotists, general medical people, and head out to Haiti in an area that has little to zero access to healthcare. Many patients have no access to education. We famine and poverty and kind of the whole nine yards. And we have a clinic out there and we do physical therapy and general medical rehab out there. And so how long are you guys out there at a given stint, Justin? How, how much time do you guys spend out there and how many times a year do you go? We go three to four times a year. Um, the team is on the ground for two weeks, but volunteers only need to commit up to one week. Yeah. And during a two week trip, we'll see about 1800 patients. And when you say see, I mean, they show up into your clinic and I mean, you spend, I mean, how much, how much time per patient? I mean, do you treat them in a, in a similar fashion time-wise as we do here or sort of what is the actual mechanics of that? Oh, it's awesome because we don't have the, the confines of, of a system that's built on units. So we can basically spend as much time as needed with each patient. But where it gets interesting is that, you know, if, if we let 180 patients in the door every day, there's another 200 outside that don't get in. So now my, my risk benefit calculation goes into, you know, if I spend two hours with you, Jeff, there's somebody on the other side of the gate that doesn't get in. So I absolutely have to kind of give you as much time as I need to make the biggest impact, knowing that 
that I've got to be as efficient as possible to get the next person in the door. Well, that's awesome, man. So, I mean, Justin, I just want to dive right into it. You know, what Tim and I are really trying to accomplish with this podcast is getting an understanding of a how we're managing pain, what the challenges are, what strategies are working, what strategies aren't, and sort of what what are some of the big barriers that we're up against. And one thing that routinely comes up is that the societal fabric, if you will, in the way that the way that the contextual layers of the country and the way that we see pain as a society is one of the biggest barriers that we face here in America. And I'll, we're not comfortable with discomfort, it seems. And, and, and that seems to be consistent across individuals that we've interviewed is progressively we're seeing less and less comfort with being uncomfortable. In other words, we're, we're not we're not normalizing pain in any way, shape or form. Being a PT who works both in the States as well as experiences clinical care in Haiti, do you see any significant differences from a society perspective that maybe could enlighten the way that we envision the pain experience here in this country? Absolutely. Um, and you're, you're exactly right. I think we, we are becoming increasingly, um, increasingly uncomfortable with discomfort. It's almost like it's, it's, it's too easy to survive, right? Because if we think of the experience of pain being built around a threat and survival mechanism, when you go to a place like Haiti, where every single day is about figuring out how you're going to eat that day and feed your family, your, your salient items around survival are a lot different than, than a little bit of arthritis in your knee or in some cases out there, you know, I've, I've treated patients that have had non-union fractures in their arms that their arms move like slinkies and they have no pain because their life is a lot more focused on real survival things, not kind of our look on survival here. Interesting, Justin. And it, it gets me thinking how, you know, when you come back from that experience and um, I spent just one stint in Haiti after the uh, the quake and just you come back and you re-enter a very different space. How do you reframe your mind uh, as you come back and how do, I guess how does it inform your encounter say with that next patient on Monday that's uh, coming in with a persistent pain problem? I, I went to Haiti for the first time like six months out of grad school and my mind was just blown, shattered. The things that I learned in PT school just didn't hold up in that culture. And then I came home and it was like the opposite. Like every patient through the door in my head was a, was a symptom magnifier, malinger. Um, you guys have no idea. You guys have no idea what, what it's like. You're fine. Just, just go. And then like something clicks and it's like, you know, every pain experience is real and you have to figure out why is it in your life what's going on is so salient that this is at the, the, the top of your priority list is that stub toe. Like that's, it's, that's real. I just need to know when your life makes that a survival mechanism. Whereas in Haiti, when you get hit by a truck, you know, you still go to the farm the next day because that's how you have to survive. My experience in Haiti taught me that all pain is real, but instead of looking at the tissue, I've got to look into the human and figure out what about your life makes that so salient. When you mention big toes, I think pain experiences make sense. And I'll share one of my my, my son who 
during a game of the Spurs were playing and he was young and he anyway came in and said, dad, dad, my toe really hurts. I, I stubbed it against the table. And of course I was distracted by a, a playoff run uh, at the time. And um, so kind of said, as most good physical therapy parents do, put some ice on it and call me later. You know, fast forward four years, he's uh, out in the backyard back from college. And I look down at his toe and I say, son, when did you break your toe? And he looks at me exacerbated like, dad, that's since, don't you remember that time I stubbed my toe? I don't want to minimize, but you kind of look at that and you say, again, the experience, you know, probably shaped a bit of how he views discomfort uh, based on the culture that he was raised in. And I think the challenge we have is it's it's not judging right or wrong. It, again, it's difficult when we look at this problem that's so immense to say, and and it's flavored by our, our youth and the experiences we had and really what we're seeing uh, in our family, friends, and how we react to discomfort. So I guess my, my question from that is, you know, what person, you know, just sticks in your mind as you have been down there that has reframed the experience, but maybe has been in in what we would say more persistent pain, were you able to kind of reshape their experience through some of the knowledge you've brought in pain sciences? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I mean, there's, gosh, there's, there's so many. What's neat is that in a lot of cases, these patients are blank slates. They don't have access to physicians. There's no commercials and there's not a Rite Aid on the corner that's, that's saying you need to come in and get uh, pills for your cold. These patients, you know, I've had patients that have gotten injured 20 years ago and have, you know, been in a wheelchair or used a walker or refused to put weight on a limb uh, because they were injured and nobody ever told them that they were better, right? So we've had patients come in and there's, there's one lady that, that it's, I'm thinking about in particular, she was in a motorcycle accident. Her face got cut into the engine and she burnt half her face. Her nose is gone. Her left ear is gone. You know, there's no eyelids and it's all kind of glassed over and she's got these just horrible scars. And this is two years out. If anybody gets within like five or six inches of her face, she starts to cry. She's she's afraid to she eats very little because she's afraid to open her mouth because of all the damage that she can see. You know, we just sit her down at the table and I just start talking to her and I can't get near her face. And so then I start touching the other side of her face the not appearance. You can't see my air quotes, but the not damaged side. Just talking to her a little bit about pain and about damage, you got to have a good translator, tissue healing. And then I start touching the other side of her face and she jumps and I'm, you know, I kind of say, you know, this is the same amount of pressure on both sides. And, you know, at any rate, by, by the end of 45 minutes of me talking to her and just explaining to her that despite what her face looks like, it's healed. There's nothing broken. There's no damage. The, the body is this amazing capacity to heal. And a little bit about pain and fear and stress. By the end of it, she's smiling, laughing. She came in later in the week and, you know, she's not afraid of her face anymore. And she's washing her face and touching herself. And when you can get in and you don't have to fight the ingrained societal physician x-ray MRI damage. And I can just go in and with a blank slate, explain to you that you're not broken, you're not fragile, and you're going to get better. We see changes almost immediately. It's amazing. Justin, that's a phenomenal story. And, you know, in both your first story and this one, I hear you speaking to 
the need to really talk with the patient. You know what you said earlier that, you know, you stub your toe. Why is it that your stub toe is at the very top of your priority list in front of mind? You know, what is going on in the contextual fabric of your life that is is forcing that to be a priority? And then here with this gal again, just a time you spent talking and educating. Justin, how do you balance that as a clinician? I mean, you went through the ISPI pain cert. I'm going to ask you more about that here at the end of the show. That's a best in class program, you know, for pain sciences and the incorporation of all these concepts. Justin, how do you balance sort of that need to spend time talking with your, if we're saying that's a priority, getting to understand them and, you know, what, why is that front of mind and what is going on in your life? You know, how do you get yourself to, to hold back? I think what is often the urge of a PT or any healthcare practitioner to start getting in there and treating, right? Using your hands and using your interventions. How much time do you spend or how do you balance that need to really get to know the person? And then, you know, it brings up, Tim, I'd ask you this as well. It brings up challenges of, you know, how do you build for that? How do we begin to change the structure of these treatments? sessions so that we can prioritize what we see to be a pressing need to really get to know the individual? You know, I, I think it's it's different on every person. And when they come in and, and they start to tell you your story, um, you know, if you think about Keith Smart's work, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to right off the bat decide, is this more nociceptive dominant? Is this more peripheral neuro, neuropathic dominant? Or is this more central dominant? And the ones that are a little bit more away from the nociceptive side of the gradient. You know, those are the ones that I, I need to hear the bar story. I need to hear your life. Um, you know, I can think of a patient that, that chronic full body pain, this is in Haiti again, chronic full body pain and hasn't been able to do anything in years. She kind of lives on her own in her jungle and she's basically started because everybody thinks she's just crazy. And, you know, she comes in and, and somebody brought her in and I'm talking to her and she's telling me this. She actually started with the gen med team and they're like, we have no idea what's wrong with her. Um, I think she just wants pills, which I hate. So anyway, so I'm, I'm talking to her and, and she's telling me about this, you know, her whole body hurts and she can't do anything. And it started two years ago. And I was like, well, what happened two years ago? My husband died. Okay, well, tell me a little bit about that. At the funeral, they the, they dropped the casket and the body rolled out and my back has never been the same since. You know, and it was like, so you start talking about that stuff. And by the end of that, you know, that session was uh, 90 minutes of me just talking to this lady through a translator. And she walked out and went back to work, moving her arms and was fine. Like, it's just, you've got to figure out the human and treat the tissue. And many times the tissue's the brain. I think I'd follow that up with, you know, Jeff mentioned, you know, how do we within the, our society bill and whatnot. And I feel like many therapists, have, they, they think because of a system that creates, yeah, we got to document our time, we end up not doing the right thing that is needed because of some perception about what that those units mean. If you look just basically on, you know, neuromuscular re-education, for instance, just by that definition alone requires us to engage the neurological system. The neurological system starts at the brain and moves on out into the periphery. So if I don't start at the foundation of that neurological system and its perceptions of how it's viewing itself in space, then how can I fundamentally provide quality neuromuscular re-education? So to me, that is one example. We could pick many others where, you know, you may talk to someone for the entire session and 
generally, I find it's with movement because I believe movement uh, often can be a, a empowering force, pain-free movement, just uh, talking. And sometimes it's better to have a conversation walking outside the clinic uh, than it is sitting in that, that the, the room. Uh, and other times it's better to be sitting quietly in the room um, if more tissues are needed. But sometimes the true stories happen in different environments. So I guess my answer to that question, Jeff, is really, you know, we just have to, if we just step back to our roots and do the right thing, we can backtrack into what's the appropriate uh, code in which we need to use. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, like you said, the guiding compass needs to be do, do what's in the best needs of the patient. I just think that so many, so many students, new grads, oh heck, not, not just students, new grads, but everyone, it's, it's that reflex. We're expected to do something physical. It's physical therapy. It's, it's the expectation. It, it's, the, it's the groove that you're in. And it, and it really takes, I think, some of these incredible stories, you know, like Justin was telling earlier, to sort of shock us out of that. What, what would you say you've taken from Haiti? That I, I would assume that one thing that's happened is you've gotten back here and gotten frustrated. You're like you said, hey, you're fine. You know, it's a scraped knee. I just saw a guy with three fractures in his arm that was doing okay. You're doing fine. You know, I'm sure that some of that's almost been challenging to come back and practice. But what about being in Haiti and your experiences in Haiti and learning about how they handle the pain experience and how they handle rehab? What about that has made you a better clinician here in the States? And, and part of the reason I ask that is because I, I love... The growth of your of what you and Morgan have done with Stan has been just unbelievable, and I keep hoping that more and more people are going to jump on with you guys and go experience that because I can really imagine there is some invaluable stuff that you learn in Haiti that when you come back, you're a heck of a lot better clinician than when you you were when you left. What are some of those things, man, that that you've taken from Haiti? The amount I've grown as a clinician standing in that clinic is unreal because it's the only place that I've ever been where I get to actually be a doctor of physical therapy. The patient shows up with, with no history, everything hurts and they hit your table and you've got to figure out is there underlying pathology, what's going on orthopedically, what's going on in their head. And it's cool because we get, you know, we bring out 15 therapists every trip with different backgrounds. So we all learn and teach from each other. So the, the manual skills that you picked up and the diagnostic skills you pick up are ridiculous. And then it's, it's realizing what the human body is capable of when it's in a culture that we're not so ingrained with this fear of the body fear of damage and need for this fix it mentality, the things that the human body can do when, when you kind of clear the slate, get rid of maladapted beliefs and then drive forward in a, in a way that, that promotes independence is amazing. So, I mean, I think that of all of it, that's the thing that's been biggest for me is been like, okay, I see what's capable when you've got a clear slate how do I take that home and clear the slate of my patients in the US so we can have the same kind of positive adaptive mentality and, and, and move towards independence? I think, Justin, it's great uh, what you said about the, this using your skill set is what it was designed for. And I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in the military, which that was the model of, you know, making decisions and knowing, you know, what was really within our scope and not hesitating to make those decisions. And I just feel that that growth that you describe is what our profession, you know, if our whole profession embodies that, then we rapidly get a handle on this 
at least assisting in this pain uh, dominant problem that we're having. Again, I think we've just not, we have gotten unsure often as PTs, if the patient's not progressing, you know, for instance, sending them back to the primary care provider who is, you know, really sending them to us for our expertise to, to, to do the right thing because it is down the musculoskeletal pathway. Clearly, if it's something that's non-musculoskeletal, sending back, but often it's like, well, I can't do anything further. And I believe ethically we have an obligation. Well, I cannot, but either I need to refer to a colleague or these are the uh, skill sets of other professionals we need to get involved in this case, not just kind of throwing up our hands like, um, you know, sorry, I couldn't help them. It's amazing. You know, I can do so much more with chronic disabling low back pain in Haiti in one session that's never seen an MRI and never heard of an unstable spine than I can do in, in two months in the U.S. with somebody that's had 20 years of being indoctrinated into being afraid of their body. That is such a uh, disarming fact. It brings you back that idea that British medical journal with the aboriginal Australians and how much, you know, how, how much de- eatogenic damage we did by quote unquote educating them, you know, um, it's incredible stuff. So Justin, I want to shift gears just a little bit. The explosion of our understanding of the pain experience has been absolutely incredible. I think we're all beyond excited about it because this is a, a subgroup of patients that really can be challenging both for from the patient perspective and from the operator perspective. Now, like anything else, as the material becomes available, there's going to be a challenge to kind of start getting it ingrained in doctorate programs and making sure people are, are coming out with the information. Usually before that, you're going to see more of the postgraduate, sort of the novel pioneering programs that come out and, and really capitalize on the emergence of the evidence and, and bring that information to clinicians. Without without question, ISPI um, is one of the utmost leaders in, in that field, and you were fortunate enough to go through their pain certification. Can you speak, Justin, a bit about sort of what did that entail? How was it organized? And what were some of the key ways that going through that program changed the way that you look at managing persistent pain? Um, and can you just speak to that for a few minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the ISPI program is great. You know, like I said, I, I got to Haiti and when I got out of school and my mind was completely blown seeing what what humans and damage could do there versus here. And it kind of put me on this path of trying to understand this stuff better. And over years, I read a bunch of stuff and, and took some courses and things. And then um, in the last six months, you know, I, I went into, like, you know, the ISPI program. And it was really cool because it was it, first of all, it's really well organized. They do a lot of um, flip classroom and, you know, you listen to lectures and then there's discussion boards and there's communication back and forth between the, all the instructors. But it really does a good job of kind of taking all the ideas that are out there and then um, just kind of tying together into a framework that clinicians can use to to start applying to their patients in a way that makes sense from from first contact to discharge. And to have access to the the Steve Schmitz and the Adrian Lowe's and the Corey Zimneys and, and Brett Nielsen and you know some of the some of the really great minds, it's just a really cool program that that you can really get a lot out of if you kind of dive in headfirst. Anybody that's treating humans in an outpatient um, scenario, I would say that this is something that they need to get into. I, I love that. And Justin, how, how long is it? What, what is kind of the format as far as, as far as travel and as far as time commitment, you know, how, how, how does that all roll out? Yeah, it goes over six months. You've got two on-site weekends and then um, everything else is kind of self-paced. You've got 
six weeks to get through this material. You got three weeks to get through this material. There's um, it's a couple lectures a week, a couple studies a week, and then a quiz at the end of each block. And then you've got a capstone project at the end where you put together um, like a 40 slide PowerPoint presentation that kind of encompasses all the main points. It's not difficult to do if you're a full-time clinician because the way it's paced, you know, you can knock some stuff out on your lunch, you can do some stuff on your weekends. And um, so the way they've done it makes it really accessible. This is the most, most important stuff in our field right now. These are the, these are the high hanging fruit, the, the hardest patients to treat, but the patients that need us the most. So I would suggest, you know, to the people listening, if you don't have any training in this stuff, you need to get it. The high hanging fruit, man. I love that. That's exactly what it is. And you know, at my courses, when we talk about low back pain, we talk about it just like that, right? I mean, if you really want to make a change, I mean, if you're serious about saying you, you, you went in this to change people's lives, no offense against acute non-radicular back pain and neck pain, love treating that stuff, you know, tends to be a good ego boost. But I think you and I both know a lot of times the spontaneous resolution of that is quite favorable. When you're, when you're dealing with someone who's got a year and a half of persistent pain and significant maladaptive beliefs, um, that is a completely different ballgame. And like you said, these are people going down a very dark path. And these are people going down the route of opioids and, and having, you know, vertebral bones cemented together and just a really, really dark place to go. And if you can rescue them from, if you can come alongside them and bump them from that path, I mean, I think you have really served your mission um, as a healthcare professional. Yeah, that's well stated, Jeff. And I think it, you know, really brings back to, we always have to meet that patient where they're at. The skill sets of Again, great listening and great hands, you know, allow us to have great conversation because many times people enter and they're expecting us to do something. And before they'll tell their story, you have to do something. And the ability to pick those up, you know, an example uh, just this week where, you know, it was clear person knew what they wanted. They they had some, some relief with some hands-on care. And if I didn't provide that hands-on care early on, you know, who the heck am I and they've wasted their time. So if you can enter it there, but always realizing, okay, once a skilled set of hands lays on people, they often take notice. And then the pause can happen where you say, huh, now how many years have you had this again? And let's go back to this trajectory. And you've gotten relief but have you actually gotten better during this last three years from some of the stuff we're doing right now? Again, that idea of uh, having a toolbox that is exceptionally well honed in a variety of different areas, and then the expert being able to pull that out at the right time in order to what I believe we all are saying that ultimately, you know, understanding the pain and reframing that experience is going to be the healing moments that's going to happen with that client. At the right time is so important. I hear a lot of people say that they, they tried this neuroscience thing and, and it just pisses their patient off and they think it's all in their head. And it's like, you know, with, especially with chronic pain patients, you know, your chronic pain patient has, has 20 years experience with this, which means they've got... 30 different providers that have all told them some form of the same thing. And they've got this trusted doctor. And, and 15 years ago, I had this chiropractor that pushed my disc back in with his thumb and, it, and that was the best thing ever. And, and then you come in day one and say, Hey, listen, um, that's crazy. Your doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. All these people are wrong. 
this is what's going on. Um, you've lost him right off the bat. You've got to know when to apply this stuff. And you definitely have to, when you're the new guy, you've got to get a little clout before you jump in and say, listen, everything that you know about your body is wrong. Um, you, you've, got to, you've got to start slow and build into it. Gosh, Justin, I just want to, I want to just repeat that. So the listeners, it really sticks with them. You know, that idea of when you're the new guy, you got to earn it right? You earn therapeutic windows, whether it's like Tim said, putting a skilled set of hands on them and incorporating what they believe they need early on. Like you said, to come in there and not be negative about what they've done in the past or what their beliefs are, but just to come into somebody's space and use the the tools that you have and then look for that therapeutic gap. And then once that pause is there, now here's your chance. Here's your chance to leverage the trust that you've built, to leverage the relationship you've developed. And now you can begin to sprinkle in the real money stuff that you think they need to honestly start making progress. Dude, I love that. Yeah, and I think it's one of those where you actually, again, we're all in different practices. But when I get these patients that often have waited a long time to come see me, their expectations are super high. And I I basically have gone to now saying, we need to schedule a few sessions um, right off the bat in succession so that we can we can build this 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 program because we can't do it overnight. And I think you know whether you're perceived as an expert or you're a novice, I think there's similar challenges. The the expert perceived expert, you know, the patient expectations are very, very high. And so if you don't kind of meet them, you're, you're no different than the novice that maybe didn't quite get the thing that maybe could have made a difference that day. The expert may have gotten, but it's the same uh, same challenges, if you will, at different points in your, your career trajectory. So I guess what I'd summarize to say, you know, I believe we really need to move into these realms of, you know, getting some commitment to working with each other uh, for a few sessions. That, I think, takes some of the burden off both the therapist and the patient uh, expectation that, you know, there's going to be this miracle that's going to happen today, even though the last 20 years, the miracle hasn't been found. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Tim. I, again, it's it's sprinkling it in, right? And I've heard Adrian say that numerous times. It's this idea of a reasonable dosage. You know, even when you, you you think, hey, I have the information the patient needs. Well, that's kind of like saying, I, I know where they need to get stronger, but they're not going to get stronger today, right? We're going to start today with one or two of the exercises targeting that region. And I think we need to look at pain science education the same way. I know what they need, but I'm not going to start with all 10 exercises today, right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sprinkle it in over a few sessions. Justin, through the ISPI certification, do they speak to dosage a bit? You know, this idea of understanding, like Tim said, it's been 20 years. It, you know, Wednesday is not going to be the solution, right? The next few months of us working through this is going to be the solution. Do they speak at all to kind of how much to give for any given patient and guidelines um, along those lines at all? Yeah, I mean, ish, because, right, especially in this population, everybody is so different. And it all, I mean, I, I feel like I keep saying this, but it all comes back to this is purely an N equals one scenario. I've got to understand you as a human, what you're ready for and, and where to deliver it. ISPI does a great job of talking about grading and painting and, and start low and go slow and kind of knowing when to start. But there's definitely no hard and fast rule. You know, and there's there's patients that, that will come in and my back hurts and my osteopath has, has put my SI back in 10 times, but it keeps coming back out. And do you think that's real? 
And, you know, that's an opportunity to approach it one way when the other person comes in and says, hey, listen, my SI goes out and I've got it put back in and that's the thing that works, but it, it just won't stay in. So, you know, I'm, I'm here to strengthen my core so my, S, so my SI will stay where my chiropractor put it or my PT put it. The ingrained beliefs are a little bit different. One's ready to hear the story and they're, they're like a game of checkers. The second scenario, this is more like a game of chess. We're going to just... I'm going to put my hands on you. We're going to do some exercises. I'm going to slowly start planting seeds so that the goal that is in a few weeks, you're going to come in and say, you know, I've been thinking about that stuff you've been talking about. And do you think my SI keeps falling out or what do you think's going on? You know what I mean? So it's like everybody's different. That The strategy has got to be different for every human on your table. That's so true, man. And isn't it great when they come back at you? You know, it, it, it's that idea of, of when the student is ready, the teacher will arrive, you know, that we want to force information on people when in reality, what we should do is, is help them to examine themselves. And then when they have that moment of, well, hold on, what do you think is going on? I mean, now they're coming to you. They're ready to learn. I think if you can foster that, like you said, a game of chess is a great way to put it. If you can get to that point, you're really, really at a spot where you can you can make some significant change. Man, great talk, Justin. And I, I think one of the unifying themes I'm seeing here is this idea of, like you said, the power of the human body when when the situation isn't clouded, right? When the thought viruses aren't on board, when they don't have seven a- MRIs, you know, once a year over the past decade or so. And I think that really is a call to arms for everyone listening to continue to make sure that we use medical imaging really responsibly. You know, it's certainly a place for it, obviously, but I think that we really need to be careful in what we're saying to our patients because like you said, it's unbelievable what you can do with chronic low back pain by educating if you're not up against those those predisposed negative beliefs. But when those are on board, it really is an incredible hur- hurdle to challenge. Beautiful, man. I- I- as we kind of wrap it up, Justin, do you mind uh, kind of letting our listeners know uh, where they can find you and how they can connect with you, how they can find out about the Stan Haiti Project, if they want to go over there and get some of that incredible learning experience? And do you mind giving them some contact info and kind of going away info? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter at... Uh Dr. Dr. Dunaway DPT. Find out all about the, the Stan Project at uh, standhadyproject.org. If you do go to that website on the top right, there'll be a thing that says click here for the video. We had this awesome documentary crew come out and, and shoot two weeks of film and interviews and, and make a 15-minute kind of movie about what we're doing out there. So if you got 15 minutes to kill and you want to know what we're doing out there, watch that video. We're in Haiti every um, end of January, middle of May, end of September for sure. We'll be adding a fourth trip soon. Um, so if you have any desire to, to travel and see what, honestly, to, to feel what being a physical therapist is like when you get to be a doctor of physical therapy and not have to function in the confines of all our regulations and stuff, it's such an amazing experience. Shoot me an email, check it out. Would love to have you out there. Thanks so much, Justin, for coming on. That's awesome. And I appreciate everything you and your organization continues to do. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And I I love the opportunity coming out here. And I got to be honest, you guys, hearing a little bit about what this new podcast is about and where you guys are going with it. um, This is this is going to be my my top podcast to listen to. Cheers, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Another great uh, conversation. I really appreciate listening to Justin and him bringing insights of, you know, again, the culture of country that really, really impoverished just the the humanity of the people there and how as physical therapists able to really make 
and help walk along some transformative change. So just really, really exciting to hear that. And I encourage all the listeners to go to StanTheHaitiProject.org and, and check out all the great work that's happening. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.